This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, NASA is planning to protect Earth with rockets. Yeah, shooting rockets at asteroids. Greg Fish helps us understand what is going on with that. Also, mysterious signal at the center of our galaxy. Is it reruns of Golden Girls? Is it an alien race saying hello? Or is it just one of those strange space anomalies that we don't know? Sir Christopher Gilbert is back with us from Tokyo. We take an in-depth look at the honkademic around the world. Too much car horn honking has everyone upset. And Are You Okay is a part of the podcast as well with the Balloon World Cup. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for Are You Okay? Are you okay with statues? Yes. I would say statues are pretty neat. Uh, there's this statue in Burlington, Ontario, uh, that's, uh, I believe it's dedicated to soldiers with uh, that are lost without like unmarked graves. And it is supposedly haunted. Uh, but it is incredibly beautiful. And it's like one of those statues you look at it and you've, you you kind of learn something. Same thing with Vimy, Vimy Ridge. I've always wanted to go there to see those that monument. Um, yeah, statues are cool. In Flin Flon, there's a statue called Flintabity Flonitan. I I am aware of Flint. What Flintabity Flon? Well, what is it? Well, Flint, the way that it was always said to me from my folks was with Flintabity Flonitan. And then there's a song. Uh, about him, and it, they call him Flintabitty. So I'm going with Flintabitty. I don't know if it's right, okay, but Flintabitty Flonitan. Let me, um, yeah, I, I, I just looked it up, and TripAdvisor has it as Flintabitty Flonitan. Um, he looks like a, like a leprechaun. What is, he's got a backpack. Oh, he's a miner. Oh, he, oh, he is a miner. I was like, oh. Is that is, Did it, you, is Flin Flon a mining town? Yes. Cool. Uh, Flintabity Flonitan. Um, see, that to me is a fun kind of statue. And if you look at the yep. photos from the side, there's if you look, you go to uh, images on Google. Uh, he's kind of he looks like he's kind of like a park ranger, but he's a miner. And there's one photo from the side. Um, if you look up that photo, and I will post this by the way, shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. There's one photo of Flintabity Flonitan from the side where if you look carefully, you'll notice his left hand is only partially visible by his leg. Do you see it? <laughs> now that's a statue. Now oh, that's a statue. <laughs> that's fantastic. Whoever designed that statue did not realize that this one angle on the statue does not look like a thumb. Just saying. <laughs> There's so many pictures of the, from the other opposite angle, and I can tell it's exactly. Um, Isn't that wow, right? that is that is fantastic. I gotta go. I will. Uh, I also go to a Bombers game. There you go. Oh, Flip Flon Bombers, eh? Did I ever tell you the story about oh, Flip yeah, Flon Bombers? My so. uh, my grandfather. He was the goalie for the Flim Flon Bombers when they didn't even wear masks. I think it was 1937, and he was also the captain of the Flim Flon Bombers. My papa. Very nice. Mm. Beautiful jerseys. 
those old the best nice. hockey jerseys of all the jerseys in Canada. Yeah, they're Hands top down. tier. Like they are fantastic. I will fight you if you disagree. Anyway, um, statues are fun, aren't they? They can be important. They can honor someone or something, a famous battle, like Ryan talked about, a historical figure, uh, a really big thumb that is illy placed. A seven-foot bronze statue of Harambe, the Cincinnati Zoo gorilla that made national headlines in 2016 after picking up and carrying around a three-year-old boy who climbed into his enclosure, then got shot, appeared on Wall Street on Monday. Confusing, right? Before we get into the story, here's a refresher about Harambe from ABC News. <laughs> We need to remember that we can't judge. We don't know because we weren't there. Today, Nine on Your Side captured this video inside the zoo. A memorial for Harambe sits outside of the exhibit. Here you see a gorilla statue surrounded by flowers, cards, and messages. The exhibit now temporarily closed. Both the zoo and parents of the boy have received criticism from all around the world. But I spoke with visitors at the zoo who say it's not a black and white situation. Children can get away from you in a minute. So, you know, I have heartfelt emotions for the mother. And then I also think that if you know your child is rambunctious, that you need to hang on to them. Brandon Merle took his three-year-old daughter to the zoo for her birthday. He stands by the zoo's decision to kill Harambe. I really don't understand why some people are up in arms about it because, you know, like I said, if it's my child, do whatever means necessary to, you know, get my child to safety. People have spoken out saying the boy's family should shoulder some of the blame since Harambe had to pay the price. That's not a controversial conversation to start. Are you okay? Is it? <laughs> it, it it's wrong, but this, I, I picked that pack to just, it was one of the most bizarre world capturing stories of all time. It was. The gorilla died and it went from being a story to one of the most famous internet memes of all time. I still see people write rest in peace Harambe to this day. It's just a meme that refuses to die for some reason it's just such a bizarre story choice of words there on refuses today just saying um oh god <laughs> the giant gorilla was placed in bowling green park directly across from the famous charging bull statue which was surrounded by ten thousand bananas um that will later be donated to local food banks by the way ten thousand bananas but why the organizers founders of sapia network and and in-development social networking platform said they put up the display to show that Wall Street has become bananas, wholly out of touch with the needs of everyday people. Makes sense, right? Mm. The founder told News 4 Monday, it's not about rejecting capitalism or the current system. It's about revolting, revolving them into the current future, the current future, Think about that. And letting them empower more groups of people. That's the whole point of this story. Harambe is a representation of something that lets us look at more than just <laughs> ourselves. What we are aspiring to be as people, he explained. It's about connecting. A simple gesture of giving a banana. Bananas! Builds community as a society. We need to come together. We can't keep fighting to come together. Why okay. Harambe? <laughs> I, I am all for taking a stand. Yeah. You know what this sounds like? What is it? This sound sounds like? like somebody Googled, some young person Googled the most uh, inflammatory story that had 
the biggest goofy looking character that people would somehow talk about like we are yeah and thought they would turn it into a statement about re- not rejecting capitalism <laughs> revol- revolving them into the current future or this is an early april fools present to all of us wow i just i, I can't uh, I, I can't get the harambe here I don't understand if this was 2016. Sure. But to this is a Ron statue. This is a real statue. They made. It's, wow. Oh, I have an idea. I love this story. They could have spent less time Googling for some story about a gorilla, less time shopping and counting 10,000 bananas and more time writing a statement about it. That made sense. That's true. The statement also made absolutely no sense. What a no sense. double whammy. This All right. is coming from the typo guy. Yeah, the typo guy. All right, we're not even going to start with the uh, the bed here. Let's just get started with the out-of-context clip for this next story. Zellers, famous for our sales each week. Zellers has the best brand names that you seek. your Zeller's credit card and you'll get 50% more Club Z points so you get free rewards faster. Zeller's where the lowest price is the law. Do you remember Zeddy? The teddy bear? Yeah, uh, I, the next clip I have features Zeddy. <gasps> cool. Are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay with Zeller's? I miss Zellers. It is a cornerstone of my childhood. We never went to Walmart. We went to Zellers. And it's it wasn't even that nice. I don't know what it was about Zellers, man. It was not but nice. I would love to have Zellers back. I don't it know. It was not nice. Uh, as a guy who grew up in Fort McMurray and Zellers was the only big store there next to Sand. Um it was amazing. It was all you had. When you needed new boots in the wintertime in Fort McMurray, you went to Zellers. It was Canada's version of mini Walmart-ish. Founded in 1931, it was based in Brampton. Zellers was acquired by HBC in 1978 before it closed in 2013. Zellers peaked in the 90s and ran incredible ads like this one in the late 80s that has who in it? One of our favorites. I'm Batman. Batman in it. Batman. Attention, attention, lady thinks high toy prices fishy. Holy sardine, Batman. Anchovies away, penguin. Listen, ma'am, only at Zellers are you protected by... The law of Toyland. Nobody beats Zellers prices on toys. Nobody. G.I. Joe's Stealth Fighters are just $26.97, and this plush Seti Bear is just $9.99. You're protected at Zellers because the lowest price is the law. 350 wow. stores across the country in 1999. Competition, Walmart moving in, inability to adjust, an increasingly volatile retail market resulted in Zellers losing significant ground in the 2000s. The demise was sad. Canadians missed that store. Uh, it wasn't like it didn't smell the same as some of the older stores like Wolco and stuff. Like it didn't smell like rubber boots, but it was its own thing. And it came, yes. uh, it seems that some are trying to bring it back, much to the dismay of the Hudson's Bay, which technically still owns it. 
Members of a Quebec family behind a recent trademark application for companies bearing the name Zellers are the focus of a lawsuit by the Hudson's Bay. In a statement of claim filed in federal court, the company accuses members of the Monas family of trademark infringement, depreciation, and good of goodwill, and so-called passing off. The statement of claim said Zellers Inc. has a location in the city of Sorel Tracy, about 80 kilometers from Montreal, and that members of the public are being told that Zellers Kmart store will open in the future. That claim added that a second location in Sorel Tracy has signs indicating that the building is under the management of Zellers Canada, Inc. HBC alleges that the defendants have refused to comply with the company's demands to cease and desist. The Monas family is behind various recent trademark applications and corporate registries, including Zellers, Inc., Zellers Convenience Store, and Zellers Restaurant, Inc. If you're going to revive anything, though, is it really Zellers Restaurant? Mm, yeah, I would maybe get the store up and running first. I like the decor, very old school, but, uh, yeah. Zeller's convenience store is really what the, it seems like they're going after. Um, and a, a little, a little version of Bodega, not the big store, but lawsuits today, 2021 over Zeller's. This is the shift podcast. It is time to, for us to connect with Greg fish in the world of weird things. Welcome. Welcome. To the world of weird things with Greg Fish. All the way from California through the power of technology and the internet. Uh, he's a computer scientist. He's completely left brained and a total nerd, but he loves the world of weird things. Worldofweirdthings.com is where you can find him. Fishy, how are you? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Good. Welcome back, buddy. It's great to see your face. I'm excited to talk about the space things. That's right. I'm taking you to space. You don't. Sweet. You don't need Elon Musk. You don't need Jeff Bezos. I'll. I'll do it. I'll take you to space. We don't have to be billionaires. You mean you're just going to take us up there? Well, in the spaceship of the imagination. Let's not. Let, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. In the spaceship of the imagination, man. I could go anywhere, man. It's the coolest, man. All right. Um. Well, worldofweirdthings.com is where you're going to find his blog and podcasts and all those things with Greg Fish. Where are we going first? Are we uh, playing darts with asteroids? Or are we going to uh, going to go uh, something bigger? Actually, let's play darts with asteroids first because that's kind of a tiny matter of our survival as a species. So I figure that's always a good place to start. <laughs> good place uh, to start. So NASA is launching a new mission called DART. Uh they're thinking of launching around November 24th, and uh, I'm actually pretty excited about it because DART stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test, and it is exactly what it sounds like. They're going to try and change the trajectory of an asteroid to make sure that it can't hit us, or rather to make sure that we really do understand how to deflect an asteroid that's coming towards us. So we don't have to send Aerosmith and Bruce Willis up in the shuttle. Uh, we can just launch a spaceship, do it remotely, uh, save a lot of time and effort and money and, uh, you know, a couple billion lives, depending on the size of the impactor. The idea yeah. is... Do we have to save them all, though, really? It's pretty crowded in the mall these days. Well, 
you know, uh, uh, why don't we get back to that later? Uh, I feel like there's 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 better ways to do that with less collateral damage. Uh, just skip your vaccines, and that that matter will kind of resolve itself. Oh dear. So, um, so there the the idea is there's an asteroid called six five eight zero three Didymos, and hmm. it's actually a two parter. There's a large main body and a small moonlet that's about 160 meters across. And that 160 meter moonlet is very representative of what kind of threats we could expect. Something that would be really nasty, cause a lot of damage, uh, might land in the ocean, cause a lot of tsunamis, just just a bad time all around. Um, And DART is going to actually hit it as hard as it can to change its trajectory just enough for it to be noticeable. Because the idea is, if there's another asteroid like that coming towards us, we launch a spaceship just like it, we hit it, we hit it hard enough and at the right angle to change its trajectory, all of a sudden, it no longer menaces us. It's no longer coming towards us. We're fine. It's not going to work for every asteroid because there are different kinds of asteroids. You know, there's there's ones that are called rubble piles that are just loose collections of rocks that are kind of orbiting around the common center. Um, we would have to use something like a net to capture that. And there's asteroids that are made out of pure iron. So just hitting them with stuff is going to be really difficult because it's not really going to do much. We'd need to use something like lasers or we'd have to land a rocket thruster on them. But yeah. the idea More is we have... Well, it depends if it's magnetic. Well, if it's there's, iron. there's definitely... Yeah, well, I mean, just... there's definitely people. There's definitely people working on on all of these ideas, but again, the exciting part really here is that we are actually starting to test them. Cool. A text comes in for you, Fishy. It says, "Hey Shane, can you ask the Mian of the hour what would happen if we deflected the asteroid toward Earth by accident when it was moving away because we missed?" Uh, we would have to try again and hopefully get it right this time. The nice part about it is that we'd probably plan these missions years in advance. We would very likely have uh, quite a bit of warning before something like really hits us um, that would cause any sort of damage. So we do have a couple of chances to correct our mistakes if they do happen. Fair enough. So the outcome here would be to not blow them up deflect them just enough and i imagine in the grand scope of space a small deflection probably you know hundreds of millions of miles later is probably a big deflection oh yeah it's that's exactly what it is uh it really it really adds up i imagine it running out of gas just before it gets there is that terrible (laughs) if that's what helps you cope with the potential doom from the sky then yeah absolutely you know do you <laughs> all right so where else are we going with this fish the uh what is the outcome here what is the benefit is this thing really going to happen well it's really going to happen and i think the the outcome is it's probably going to work because there have been multiple missions to asteroids that have achieved all of their objectives that have kind of been leading up to this uh so there's very little uh there's very little reason to think that this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work for whatever reason the, and the outcome is really going to be like the most typical kind of asteroid that we would be facing as a threat. We can now, I would don't want to say rest easy, but we at least know that this is not going to wipe us out. This is not going to sneak up on us and destroy us. We can actually do something to protect ourselves from cosmic debris. And that's that's a really big deal. You know, it's 
Good News Tuesday, right? Kind of celebrating the fact that we don't don't have to be wiped out by an asteroid. We can indeed change our fate and avoid going the way of the dinosaurs, literally. All right. This is interesting. Bullseye or not bullseye? What's your forecast? Oh, bullseye. Absolutely. I, I trust the math nerds. The math nerds, right? You always got to go with the computer science guys, the calculations. We make a lot of them. There's a lot of calculations. That's what uh, Fish does, by the way, computer science guy. Okay, so now that is the story of the asteroid. Unless uh, there's other things you would like to add to that, Fish. Uh, the core of the galaxy, that's um, that's something I don't even understand. Who are we kidding? <laughs> So the, we're, let's go to the core of the galaxy for a minute, where astronomers have found a very bizarre, very large flashing object that's emitting a very strange radio wave. Um, and spoiler alert, they don't know what it is. Like, okay. no idea. It's we, not a rebroadcast of Golden Girls, nothing like that? No. Well, at least we don't think so. But it is very, very, very strange. Okay, so uh, is it like an audio signal? Are we getting is a you know something that we read on the radio? Is it a you know a boop 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 teletype thing? What what is it? See, see, it is a radio wave essentially, but it's like really bent out of shape and and corkscrewed, which means there's a lot of high energy stuff happening. And again, we're we're not exactly sure what causes that. And when scientists actually look at uh, what is potentially causing it uh they also don't know because it they they see this bizarre flashing object and they say okay great that's fantastic there's something there and we don't know what it is so there's still just a lot of evidence to collect on the subject but of course people on social media are uh are saying that you know maybe aliens finally you know come to uh, come to weigh in on what's going on on Earth. So uh, we could take the boring route and say, look, the galactic core is a place where there's a gigantic black hole the size of our solar system eating stars willy-nilly. There's a lot of supernovae. There's a lot of pulsars. There's a lot of high-energy collisions and radiation. And the likelihood that life, especially advanced life, can take hold there and start sending out radio signals is basically nil. We could say that, okay. but that wouldn't be fun, would it? Well, that would be no fun. So let's for a second consider if you would have aliens that would be capable of creating something like this, sending out a signal like that, creating something that is astronomically significant, what would they be like and what would be the likelihood that they exist? For that, we turn to the work of astronomer Nikolai Kardashov, who in 1964 created a kind of ranking scale for potential alien civilizations. Uh, now, that scale is kind of like astrobiology's uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a very interesting framework to think about a fairly vague and complicated topic with a lot of gray areas. Um, and the idea technically is that you would have alien civilizations that operate at different scales. So the idea is each scale can be classified as a particular type. And that type tells us something about what 
kind of technology that those alien species would have. So we would technically be a type one because we operate on a planetary scale. Um, a lot of astronomers would say, well, we don't quite qualify as such, but we're well on our way to, to being there in the foreseeable future. There's a type two that operates on the scale of solar systems. The type three would operate on the scale of galaxies. A type four would be dealing with galactic, with galactic clusters, type five supercluster structures. And then there's the idea of a type omega, which is basically gods, like literally gods as far as we can possibly tell. Now, all of this is well and good. However, there's the question of, do we have any proof that any of them exist? So if we look at a kind of structure that could be at the core of the galaxy, survive all of the radiation and collisions, uh, and send out a signal that you can hear across the universe, you're looking at something that is either a type 3 or very close to a type 3 civilization. Those, because they would operate on such vast scales, you would expect to see artifacts and, and some sort of evidence of their activity that's, again, astronomically significant, something that we would be able to pick up. And we might not necessarily know what it is because, you know, a type three would be so far beyond us already that it would be really difficult to understand what their technology looks like. It would be kind of like, you know, a, a, a hamster trying to decode how the space shuttle works. It's, it's, oh. not, it, it's not going to be easy at all. But they would be very energetic. They would be very visible. We should see that there's something really weird going on all over the galaxy, which we don't. If this thing, if this thing is some sort of an artifact of a Type Three civilization, it would have to be something like a communication beacon or a marker beacon. But you would expect many more like it because it would be some, you know, it's a civilization that that works on the scale of a galaxy and beyond would probably understand such things as mass production and standardization. So we would see many beacons like it. Because we don't, because this is the only thing that we've seen, because we think that this object has been there for a while, because we we have some interesting data that points to this to this signal being around maybe 15, 20 years ago. Probably natural, but at least we've we went through that logical exercise of saying, well, what if it was aliens? What would that look like before completely ruling it out? Which I think no. is a little bit more fun. Well, now, unless I misunderstood here, Fish, I mean, do we know how long that would take to get there? Like, are we talking about we were still dinosaurs when this thing started? We don't know that. Oh. That's, no calculation? We just, we just don't those have calculations. <laughs> well, I need more data for the calculations. There's only so many calculations I can do with so much data. But it, it is it is actually an interesting point to think, well, Again, let's let's come back to the to the to the Kardashev scale. How long would it take for something like that to be built if it's artificial? And we're probably talking potential. We potentially may be talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of years. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be a long time. Like, I mean, we wouldn't even we're babies compared to that. Exactly. On the other hand, it could be an aftermath of some sort of a cosmic collision trapped in some sort of a magnetic feedback loop or gravity well. And in that case, it would be fairly short-lived on the order of 
years or decades, maybe a couple centuries at most. So this might actually be a fairly recent thing. It's just this energetic phenomenon. It got trapped where it did. Um, you know, remember, there's a bunch of black holes there. There's a bunch of pulsars. There may be some some sort of a, a jet from a black hole feeding it. So it may be around for a little while and it might look really weird and mysterious and, and flash in weird ways, but it'll eventually dissipate and just fate to nothing is there any um anything that we can learn from this i mean is there any piece of this where they can truly go hey by the way this is a secret to how they get the caramel inside the caramel bar like is there anything well we don't know honestly that's 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 the interesting thing about space you 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 look at some of the some of the stuff and you're like okay this is really interesting but what can we learn from it and sometimes the answer is really well we can learn that this exists and how some of these things work and uh we can eventually work out uh how to how to better understand the laws of physics around it but and maybe sometimes that that yields us something but maybe sometimes it's just it's just good to know um that's and again that's that's also the thing about science you never know when some piece of knowledge would be useful because you know we smash atoms together we've been smashing atoms together for for decades and the people ask well what's the use of that and the use of that is we actually started to understand how particles work and how particles collide and decay and that ended up as uh that ended up guiding the development of a lot of um, high energy, highly sophisticated and advanced medical tools that we currently use to treat cancers. Okay, makes sense. So what happens if we throw a dart at the asteroid and it deflects the asteroid into the radio stream of the um, of the center of the core of the galaxy and all we get is a buffering message? How do we fix that? Uh, shoot it again. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what you do. That's what you do in space. If something shoot goes wrong, just shoot it again. Uh, okay. All, all jokes aside. Um, we've seen an awful lot of guys go to space here with all these really, really rich guys. Would you go? Would you do it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I would absolutely, if given the opportunity to go to space, I would hundred percent take it. Yeah. Even for, you know, would you be sitting there running the calculations going, well, you know, I mean, does it, I mean, you're a computer guy. You've written all kinds of software and things like that. When you look at the fact that with, um, SpaceX, there's really not a pilot on that thing. There's a bunch of people that could fly it if they needed to, but they're not really trained for that. Um, it's more of a, they know how to get the car off to the side of the road and that's about it. So as a computer guy, is that incredibly impressive to you or does it scare you a little? No, it's very impressive to me. I, I, the algorithms that are involved are very thoroughly tested. Um, there's a lot of engineering that goes into it. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, experiments that where we've proved that machines could probably do a much better job of actually doing the flight. If something goes wrong, it's always good to have a human nearby. But I would not honestly would would trust the machine. I would not be I would not be afraid at all. That's cool stuff. Who would you go with? Would you go on the Blue Origin, the giant flying penis, or would you go on SpaceX, or what would you do? Uh, given the choice, I'd probably go with SpaceX. You go a little bit farther, and it's uh, a lot less phallic. Um, <laughs> a I mean, lot ultimately, less phallic. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, all rockets are kind of penis shaped yeah. because because the laws of physics. But you know, they 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 went really overboard on Blue Origin. There's 
yeah, that, that there's 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 something very Freudian there that I honestly am not qualified <laughs> to unpack. <laughs> I think it'd be cool. I mean, the fact that SpaceX goes out beyond the International Space Station, I mean, they go quite far. That would be pretty cool. But, you know, it's like saying, it's kind of like saying, hey, by the way, buy a lotto ticket. The lotto's worth a million dollars. Or going, hey, buy a lotto ticket. It's worth a hundred million dollars. And you know, we as humans, we're like, we're like, nah, it's only a million bucks. I'll buy the ticket when it's worth a hundred million, right? It's like, we need to go. If you're going to go to space, no matter how high you go, the weightlessness part and all those things would be cool, whether you're on the one that goes really far out or the one that just kind of barely gets to the, to the black part, right? That's cool. I would, I would absolutely agree. It, the fun part with SpaceX would be you're in orbit longer. So you get to see more and experience yeah. more. Um, that, that would really be, that would really be the draw. But if I just, but if I just got to go up for, you know, 30 minutes, I would be, I would be ecstatic. I would be thrilled. The, um, the, uh, <laughs> there's so many jokes about your phallic thing. Um, I wonder if you could like, uh, and I didn't mean this either, but you could, I was going to say pitch a tent. That's not what I meant either, but build a fort <laughs> if you went on, uh, on the SpaceX one, but you could like build a fort and then you have like a sleepover in space, right? Cause you're up there for a couple of days. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, why, why not? It- you just need to take something to get over the uh, to, to get over the motion sickness as you adjust to space. Worldofweirdthings.com. That's where you can find him. He's Greg Fish. Thanks for being here, buddy. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. It is time to connect all the wires and plug in across the Pacific, the International Dispatch, all the way to Tokyo. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. What's happening there, handsome? How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm bloody good. It's um, The COVID numbers are down. The snow is coming, resorts are gonna open, gonna go snowboarding. What's not to love? You know, we've got like thirty COVID cases a day in Tokyo. Oh, it's a party. It's a party. party this day. is things yeah, are good. Day. Well, Chris, if you don't know Chris, he's from New Zealand, then he went to Tokyo, and then he well, Japan, and then he came here to Canada, and then he worked on the shift with us, and then he was like, I'm out, peace. And then he left, but then he was like, But I miss you. And so here he is from Tokyo on the shift with the International Dispatch, taking us on a tour around the world with some news stories. Chris, what do you got in store for us tonight? Um, well, you know, at the moment in Tokyo, um, it's a bit noisy at the moment because it's election season. So you got all these little cars driving around saying things like, you know, and they drive past doing their election stuff, but then a car drives past in the other direction going, and so it really put me in the mind of car noises and, uh, Honking, in particular, in mm. India at the moment, there's a bit of a honkademic um, going on where everyone's honking <laughs> their horns. I love that. Uh, isn't that funny? The There are some places in the world where getting honked at is perfectly normal. You just don't even ignore it. Here, you get honked at and you're you're ready to fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I ride a bike everywhere. So if somebody honks at me, I just honk back with my mouth. So if they're like, hey, I'm just like, Burp, like back to them. I just yell a honk across the street. 
I mean, honking here is quite rude, you know. It, it's, is so it? you, you have to be, yeah. Well, you, I mean, it's a it's a polite society, so to speak. Well, it's not really a polite society. Everyone's rude all the time, but it's it's you're not really meant to be a honker. Honking is a act of extreme aggression here. If you were to honk your horn at another motorist or pedestrian, it would be obscene. Um, but it does happen all the time, and yeah, they honk back. I honk back. If I was in Canada. People would probably just think I'm trying to be a goose or something, you know. But here, it's like, <laughs> oh, that cyclist is trying to honk his horn, but he doesn't, so he's using his mouth. But in India, everyone honks their horns all the time, apparently. Uh, this is reportedly, allegedly. I'm not slandering India. I haven't been. Uh, I don't know it personally, but I'm just, you know, reporting what I read, Shane. And mm -hmm. uh, so at the moment, there's a, an idea to turn horns into musical instruments well let me say back into musical instruments before before cars horns were already an instrument um but they want to like make go back to the the old instrument type of horn um and uh, npr as much as i don't like you know putting more npr on the radio uh npr has actually done a little bit of uh coverage on this so uh let's have a listen to uh that first npr clip Suppose you're in heavy traffic, you blow your horn, and it sounds like this. That's the plan of the Federal Transport Minister in India. He would like to replace all vehicle horns with the sounds of traditional Indian musical instruments. The worse the traffic gets, the louder the unintended symphony. Just watch out for the sitar that's passing on your left. I like that. Yeah, Ryan is cracking up laughing. He's choking on his fried chicken. <laughs> I'm shit. It's my it's my peanut butter. I just oh. it's the idea of like if that were here in Canada, it would just be like eight different country music and then like a you know a life house like and then like a rock group like it would just sound oh, no it'd be horrible it'd be like Nickelback everyone would be getting yeah. how you remind me or something it's <laughs> like some never Avril Lavigne as, never made it as it was never made it just all. <laughs> Never, never, yeah. never. Yeah, well, actually, no. Never. I, I do like the idea of some six foot seven lumberjack with a beard that goes all the way down to his belly button, um, you know, attached to his chest. And, you know, just wears boots every day of the week in case, you know, think, you know, just in case he happens to encounter a hill, he's prepared. He can hike it, you know, just uh, honking his horn. And it's just like a beautiful flute and like a butterfly floats out his window. I can totally see that happening. This is the way it should be. Peaceful driving, brothers and sisters. Love each other on the roads. It's far cry from that at the moment. You know, like, researching this, I was like, hmm, I wonder, like, uh, what kind of honking situation is. So I totally chose an Indian city at random. I was like, what's a city in India? Mumbai. So I googled Mumbai honking, and I actually came across a campaign that the... Mumbaiian, Mumbaiian. I'm going to go with Mumbaiian. The Mumbaiian police um, did last year. So uh, this uh, here's a clip of a of a campaign that the Mumbaiian police did last year to uh, reduce honking. Welcome to the honking capital of the world. Here, people honk even when the signal is red. So why, na? Maybe they think that by honking, they can make the signal turn green faster. Now. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a honker demo. Oh. They're having a honking good time over there. Aha, uh-huh. very good. <laughs> yeah. I like honkademic. That's pretty good. That's cool. yeah. it's a good word. I just like the way he starts that clip because it sounds like a promotional video um, at first uh, for Mumbai. So it's like, welcome to the honking capital of the world, as if it's, you know, like, like a good thing. Um, it's not a good thing. They're trying to stop it. Um, and uh, the way that, they, actually, you know, I, you know I'm going to keep that little secret in my back pocket for later. I'm not going to tell you that now. But what I will tell you, going jumping back to NPR, is NPR did uh, look into some of the reasons for the honking. It's not just pure violence and bloodlust like it, um, you know, it is in Canada and, and, and USA. Uh, there is uh, kind of like uh, birds communicating with each other thing going on here. Uh, so this next clip, uh, an NPR reporter in uh, Mumbai uh, asks some people around town about why they, why they honk. I hop into a rickshaw and the driver, Mohammed Sarfaraz, explains how horns are like a language in Mumbai. A short beep means, hey, I'm about an inch off your back bumper, he says. A long beep means, heads up, I'm trying to squeeze into a non-existent lane with one wheel up on the curb. Commuter Amruta Chavan says the horn on her motor scooter has to be loud enough to cut through this chaos. Truck drivers often install custom horns with a jingle. Because honking here isn't always cautionary, it can be a greeting, Chavan says. There are some people who will honk like in a tone. What do you mean? Like, like beep, 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like hi or bye. Just for hi or bye, they'll start to honk in a tune. Beep, 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 beep. That means hi. That means hi in my oh, honking God. language when I'm on my bicycle. Honk, honk. That's around like town. It. Honk, honk. Yeah. So, but the thing is, though, that so those are reasons that they honk, but it's not good enough for the uh, the Mumbaian police. Um, so, what the the Mumbaian police have done, uh, what they tried to do last year, is they actually tried to uh, restrict or like kind of like. Uh, what's the word, curb honking, you could say, um, uh, by putting timers on the traffic lights. And if you're honking too much, the lights will just stay red and you'll never get anywhere. You're going to stay stuck in traffic forever, uh, which is a great idea. And uh, here's a little bit more of that promotional video from the police uh, talking about what they did. One day, we connected decibel meters to a few signal poles around the city. If the decibel level went over 85 dB, the signal would reset and stay red for longer. Feel free to honk. That is, if you don't mind waiting. It's really cool. It's, it's actually like a really cool idea that if you go, if you're gonna honk, you're gonna just wait at the red light forever. Um, but uh, it's something that I actually would like to see done about other things you know uh maybe uh curb jaywalkers if you're gonna jaywalk you know you have to uh turn around start again think about what you've done for 25 seconds and then wait for the next green light um you know people who cut queues you know go back to school rules you have to go to the back of the queue if you're a queue cutter um you know there's all kinds of things we could do with this kind of mentality don't you think i like this this is a great way to go i mean if you uh honk too much you have to wait you know, cut in line to the back of the line. This is good. This is the way it's going to go. Although, if honking actually sounded like some of these people are describing it, I mean, it's quite pleasant as opposed to the, it's not a symphony like they describe it of honkers. 
Well, I, I did um, organize uh, some examples of some Indian musical instruments to, um, if, you, if you would like to hear some, to hear what they might sound like. I would, yes, please. Well, this, yeah, let's do it. This first one I organized is called a Tanpura, and uh, it sounds a little bit like this. Beautiful, right? Don't you want that Beautiful. just like blaring Soothing. down? Blaring down mm -hmm. the highway at you. Just mm -hmm. Was it fast? <laughs> I'd feel like I'd in a be in a Bollywood movie every time I went on a on a highway. I like it. Well, you know, if you move to Mumbai, you technically are in a Bollywood film. As long as everyone's singing and dancing, it's all there for you. Uh, this next one True. is, um, you know, it's the classic. It's the most famous of all Indian instruments. It's the sitar. It's uh, it's our guy. It's our boy, the sitar. Here it is. Yeah, I like Beautiful, that one. Right? That, that's my horn right yeah. there. Taking that one as my that's horn. That's your horn? You know, if you have a Tesla, just... you can change your horn to whatever no. you want. So you can... No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you Seriously? can. I've seen videos. Yeah, I've seen people who have changed their horns to Patrick Starr from SpongeBob screaming, wee woo, wee woo, wee woo. I've seen it. Yeah, no. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you can do oh, it. I would get a Tesla, Tesla just for that. Tesla's just remind me of like when Homer Simpson got to design a car. And he's like, those little balls on the top, they should be on every car. And every horn should play La Cucaracha. You know, it's just like the most ridiculous <laughs> cars in the episode. world. Teslas are just like Fisher-Price busy boxes for adults. That's all they are, you know, and they break just as easily. <laughs> that could be true. But if you could change your horn. <laughs> we That's true. Me. I mean, I wouldn't mind changing my horn. Um, this next one, actually also just quickly on the sitar. I think if I was to like blast my horn in a fit of rage at somebody, just one of those, you know, you're not thinking just, Bruh! you know, just like, I want to honk and you honked and like that beautiful melody came out. It wouldn't really be very satisfying. You know, you don't really get the blood lost out. It's true. I mean, isn't that the truth? Like when someone cuts you off and there was, there was a person who in front of me, they were driving in the right hand lane and there was a right hand exit. And they basically didn't realize that the exit was full and people were lined up on the on the curb all the way way back there. And then she tried to pull in when there was no room. So she stopped in the lane. The speed limit at this point of the road was 110 kilometers an hour. And just she hit the brakes and stopped. There's trucks everywhere. And boy, did I ever feel good. Like I hit the horn and then I added to the horn with a bah! <laughs> Right, like you, that makes you feel good. Like you can't do that if your horn's just going, you know, all mellow music. I guess you don't get that stress out. It makes you feel good. I just, just in my imagination, right there, Shane. I imagine what was going on in your head was like um, the red bearded like cowboy guy from Looney Tunes jumping from foot to foot and shooting his guns yeah. in the air. Just yeah. like yeah, just like honking as like you blare down the highway. Oh, so what mad. a hooligan! It was scary. Someone was gonna die. I don't yeah, want to no, die. No. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that does sound like a legitimately terrifying situation. I mean, the most terrifying situation I was ever on the road uh, was driving back uh, from, oh, where was it? It wasn't Hope in BC. It was in the Cook, was it the Cookahalla? Is it the highway in BC there? Yeah, that's it was the one like over the mountain. in the middle of a snowstorm. And I swore to God I was going to die. I was driving at night in the middle of a snowstorm because you couldn't see anything around you. There's, it's pitch black. You can only see the taillights of the car ahead of you. 
just floating in space like you're following the Millennium Falcon or something and you can't follow, see the road under you moving because it's all that's white and uh, probably um, I can't believe I'm, I'm here today telling the story to be honest because the story I'm going to tell is about the next instrument which is called the tabla and this is probably my favorite one uh, honking number seven there Sheldon, the tabla <laughs> That one's awesome. I think that one's chaotic by far. It's chaotic. I just want the bongos and the bongos from the background. That's what I would want my drum, my my horn to be. Well, that's what the tabler is. It's the it's the drumming. It's the drumming. Oh, is that what it is? I like. I like that. Yeah, I like. I like that one because often, um, not re- not actually owning a car here in Tokyo, I rent a lot, and it's the frustration of not being able to get your Bluetooth to connect, you know, in the in the in the immediate moments of uh, renting a new car every time. So if I can't get my Bluetooth to connect, I can just honk the horn all the way down the highway and just have like a, a little percussion stomp festival going on in my car. You know, it'd be awesome. I, and imagine, I imagine like Roadrunner. You know, when Roadrunner takes off. Beep, beep. Beep, 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 beep. That one, and he does the thing with his tongue. Yeah, see, that would be fun horn. There you go. Yeah, I a, like this. That would actually be a very good horn. I mean, but but then you're getting full circle, kind of back to the original horn sort of thing, you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's horns. I have no segue um, to get to this next story, but uh, can I can I just mention the giant pumpkin? Mention away. There's a giant pumpkin. Um, Thank you. Oh. I, I think we're not really allowed to talk about it because apparently. It's not a giant pumpkin uh, because it's got a tiny little crack in it. And therefore, it's not a pumpkin anymore, apparently. I'm kind of annoyed about this. Uh, there's a guy. Uh, he's in Wisconsin. What he does, his job, right, is he grows big pumpkins. That's it. He just, he just grows massive pumpkins. Uh, you know, this time of year, obviously, is uh, you know, the pumpkin time of year where you grow big pumpkins. Uh, his one was uh, 2,520 pounds. It Whoa. definitely, they say, would have won the national b- big giant pumpkin competition. It's bigger than he is. It's like the size of like a really small car. Um, it's a massive pumpkin. and But it's been disqualified from all of the national competition. This guy, all he does is grow big pumpkins. And his big pumpkin, he, he does like three a year, has been disqualified. Um, have you got that pumpkin clip there, Sheldon? I think we do. Mike grew this gargantuan gourd about 30 miles west of Fond du Lac. It weighs 2,520 pounds. This pumpkin would have won this year, and so you're looking at a pumpkin that would have been worth $20,000. But unfortunately, from internal pressures and the awkward way it was growing, it cracked. That disqualified him from all competitions this year. Crack was the size of a fingernail. It happens. There's no crying in pumpkin growing. I am livid about this. $20,000. The man grew a two th- two-and-a-half-thousand-pound pumpkin, and some little pencil pusher comes along, pushes his like, glasses to the end of his pointed little nose, and over a fingernail-sized crack, and it's like, I'm sorry, most of your 2,500-pound pumpkin is totally fine, but there's a small little crack right here. Officially, this is no longer a giant pumpkin. Does that make sense to you? Well, no, I mean, ah, it's got to be, oh, I can't decide. I mean, it's a pumpkin. 
does it have to be perfect? I mean, it's not broken in half yes, and half exactly. and leaking. I mean, yeah, no, I okay, no, I've had time to think about it. I think the fingernail crack is okay. I mean, if it was split open and its pumpkin guts were falling out, then yeah, I don't think that's a complete pumpkin. Yeah, no, I mean, you've if it's cracked open and its guts are falling out, you've got like a great Canadian baking show, Great British Bake Off situation there, where the wall of your um your cake is cracked and the innards are flowing out, and the judge is not impressed, right? But if you bring up a little like if it's a technical challenge on the baking show and you have to make brandy snaps and your brandy snap has a little crack in it, I think they'd overlook that, you know. But mm-hmm. I also feel like the guy's really in the trick here because what he should have done is just worked with what nature gave him, cut out the crack, cut out another little shape, cut some more shapes out of that pumpkin, and entered uh, America's biggest jack o' lantern competition. Because he definitely would have won that. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know. I mean, I mean, America's got a biggest everything competition, right? Mm. And mm. it's like, uh, if you're going to have a crack, you know, just turn that crack into a, a little triangular eye and make a little face. You can make it whatever you want. Have some fun with it. And you've got a big bloody jack-o'-lantern on your hands. And then you just go on the internet, you go jack-o'-lantern competition it might not be $20,000, but hey, but then again, the guy's a Wisconsin pumpkin farmer. We can't, you know, assume he's going to think of everything. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> turn that crack upside down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. the same. Sir Christopher Gilbert is in Tokyo. It is the International Dispatch. Thank you so much for being here, brother. It's great to see your face. Um, send us some pictures of the snowfall in the Tokyo, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I if I get to the snow sometime soon, I'm definitely going to be sending it your way. All right. That sounds great. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.